Welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy podcast. Here's what you can expect from listening to Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy. My true passion is all about helping educate you, the listener, on plant-based nutrition. I educate through my own story and experiences on a multitude of plant-powered topics, including health, plant-based nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, to teach you how you can be your most powerful self every day. With interviews with top fitness, health, wellness, and spiritual experts, this podcast is a non-judgmental, fun, and happy atmosphere. Sit back and enjoy some of the amazing interviews that I have with not only plant-based experts, but with people who have truly transformed their lives with plant-based nutrition. Welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant-Based and Happy Podcast. Today I have Charlene Gethins, who is a qualified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and mindfulness coach, a motivational speaker, and a therapist. Charlene spent the last 10 years working with children and youth with special needs, mental health, and behavioral issues until an accident in 2013 prompted her to re-examine her life. In 2014, she began her master's program in counseling psychology, which she recently completed. And it was also during this time that Charlene began her own mindfulness journey as a way to learn how to manage the uncertainty she faced after a series of operations and complications. Charlene studied mindfulness meditation and deepened her practice at silent retreats. She has, she has a daily meditation practice of her own and embodies mindfulness as a way of living and being and is the proud owner of The Mindfulness Journey, a mindfulness meditation company here in Toronto, Canada. Charlene, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited to have you. Um, can you speak a little bit about what kickstarted your own mindfulness journey? I know that you know you uh, suffered an accident and you were going through a lot at that time. But what was that pivotal point where you decided that you were going to take the mindfulness journey of your own? Um, so as I said, like in 2013, I was in an accident. I was actually I was hit by a bus. Um, and <laughs> I say it so matter-of-factly, um, mm-hmm. it's just the reality of what my life was like. And I had undergone an, a surgery to remove a piece of my skull um, because of the swelling of the brain. They put it back in and then discovered it was infected. And so it had to come back out again. And the complications from that infection, my incision line kept breaking down, the doctors didn't know what to do next meant that I couldn't have my prosthesis put in until they figured out what was going on. So there was a lot of work that was done at the hospital with a team of doctors, but with my own kind of treatment team, social worker and stuff like that, um, to kind of help me through this because it was a lot of like, we don't know when we can do this. Right. So you're just going to have to kind of live like this. And it's when, like, there is a piece of my skull out. <laughs> 
Like, yes, right. So, I mean, that, that's not a great position to be in. And no. I'm sure you were suffering from some sort of depression and anxiety. A lot of anxiety and just a, like unknown, like what's, when's this going to happen? Eventually there was some depression connected to it because it, this was just going on for so long. But I didn't know like what tomorrow would bring. And anyone who's experienced any kind of health or medical issues, you know that you can feel fine right now, but in 10 minutes, you could feel terrible. Right. Like, and you just never know what sort of the catalyst is to bring that on. Um, so my social worker was like, you know what, maybe learning some mindfulness, learning how to sit with things like uncertainty. I, she had first introduced me to Pima Chodron. She's like a Buddhist person. And she had written a book about being uncomfortable with uncertainty. And that was sort of the first step into mindfulness. And then I did the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction program. And I was like, oh, yeah, this, this is helpful. So what is the mindfulness-based restriction, or sorry, stress reduction? <laughs> It's an eight-week program, and it runs um, so once a week for eight weeks for two and a half hours usually um, each session, and it's a group program. So there's usually more than one. I, because of my circumstances, did it individually, but that's more rare. And it teaches you what mindfulness is. There's formal meditation practices, which people are kind of familiar with, the idea of sitting on like the cushion or the mat and meditating. Right for a shorter period of time, like the body scan, all those different kinds of meditations are taught. But it also teaches you how to practice it informally. So mindfulness is about paying attention on purpose to the present moment. So brushing your teeth mindfully, eating mindfully. Mm -hmm. Like those are some of the more informal things. And there's a lot of um, activities that are done to help foster the training and the practice to deepen it. So small group activities, dyads, things like that, which is why it's a group format. And then there's always one day, about eight hours long of silence. Amazing. So in terms of these groups, I mean, I'm sure that it's, it's a, it's a great environment because, you know, everyone's pretty supportive as well. And you're all going through different things, but in some sense, the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, how can people say who aren't in these groups and are maybe going through something right now, how do you think that they can implement a little bit of that, you know, like you were saying, mindfulness while brushing your teeth or um, uh, intentional eating? How can they incorporate stuff like that? aside from, from what we just spoke about? I think that even just, I was, like I have a daily practice, but it doesn't even have to be daily if that doesn't suit you, but just regularly learning how to meditate or to sit with silence and being comfortable. Like I talked to some of the, the clients and stuff and people who I've worked with about when you're waiting in line, try waiting in line. Like just yes. wait in line instead of, you know, turning to your phone or having to absolutely. And even just seeing how long you can do that without it feeling really uncomfortable. 
and looking at like what's making me uncomfortable. I mean, how long is the line you're going to be in? Right. I mean, unless you're at the airport, because that <laughs> could be like three hours. But like, if you're in line at Starbucks, you're probably like five minutes. Yeah, if that. And then what, what about, uh, so say you're going through that little practice and say your mind starts to wander. Are you supposed to, um, you know, accept those thoughts or start thinking or, you know, trying to push those thoughts out of your head? How do you sort of react to that? The thing with mindfulness meditation is you don't push away the thoughts, mm -hmm. but you also don't latch on to them. You just notice them. I know a lot of people are concerned about meditating because they're like, well, I think too much. And it's like, right. that's great. It's not about stopping the thoughts. Like we're not actively trying to do that. You might be able to, with time, quiet some of that noise, but that's, that's not what we're actively seeking. That just kind of happens. Like when you're meditating or when you're in the line or when you're doing whatever and a thought comes up, just noticing, oh, now I'm thinking about this and letting it go. Right. So almost like watching your thoughts or observing your thoughts. Yeah. Like I use the expression of like um, the conveyor belt at the grocery store, you know, as those are just like, instead of like milk and bread, it's thoughts and they're just going along and you're just noticing them and they just keep going. I think that's a genius way to think about it because you can also learn a lot about yourself by watching your thoughts and observing your thoughts because, mm -hmm. you know, instead of focusing on them and then going down that rabbit hole, but learning a lot about what you're, th what you are actually thinking. And, and then you can learn a lot about how it affects how you feel about yourself and how you go about your day in general, I think too. For sure. Everything is so connected and you can start to notice patterns and like, I'm thinking this again. And you can also start to separate and create some space between thoughts and feelings with a repeated practice, like noticing like, oh, I'm thinking this thought, but it's just a thought. It doesn't mean it's true. Right. Like when you spoke about like the spiral, like you start off small and then it just keeps going and going and going. Like I used um, this analogy with my friend Lindsay, those what ifs. Like, mm -hmm. well, what if this happens? And what if, what if I say something silly and people laugh at me? Or what if this happens? And then I go, and what if a velociraptor comes tearing through the door? <laughs> like, it's obviously most likely not going to happen. But a lot of those what ifs are probably also not going to happen. Absolutely. I, I fall prey to that. Um, you know, how, uh, I think what it is, is I'm always trying to figure out a plan B, what if, after that, what if, if that what if happens. And mm -hmm. I think I spend a lot of time, I waste a lot of time trying to come up with this plan B. How many, how often do you see that in other people's uh, train of thought, sort of like coming up with that plan B if something else happens or plan C, D, E. And it, it does come up and it comes up for me and it comes up for everybody. Mm -hmm. And we talk about it sort of more in my counseling um, realm, but with mindfulness about coping ahead. Mm -hmm. Like there's this cute boy, I'm going to go up and I'm going to ask him out. He could say yes or he could say no. If he says no, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And then it's, 
we teach to then like do some kind of like meditation or calming activity, something that you know is soothing for you after like mentally rehearsing this because it'll still bring up all of the things that'll actually happen to you if he does say no. And then letting it go. And just be like, all right, if it's plan A or if it's plan B, I've got like, I know what they are and I'll just deal with whatever comes up, which is obviously easier said than done. <laughs> but once it's over, it's over, regardless yeah. of what the outcome is. <clears throat> and that's the, one of the big things about mindfulness. It's about accepting the reality of what is and not the way we want things to be. Right. Which makes sense. And so, which is so helpful. Yeah. <laughs> like learning like, okay, I don't have to like this, but this is what is. And if I don't accept it, I'm just making things worse because now I'm adding suffering on top of the crap that I'm already going through. Yeah. Um, that's so true. You know, when you're, when you're actually, I started saying it is what it is. Um, yeah. Because if I don't, one thing leads to another and I'm in a terrible mood and I'm in a terrible spot and it's not really because of the thing that just happened or is happening because where I've taken myself is a, like way worse than the actual problem that is. Mm -hmm. We compound it with our thoughts. Like yeah thinking about it, like I should have done this, I should have done that, or I'm an idiot, or our judgments, and this, that, and the other. And like now, you, as you said, like you feel so much worse. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you, you've, you have experience with silent retreats. Yes. Um, I did a one-day silent retreat and found that the first half of the day, it was, first of all, I took my sister with me, so, and we hadn't seen each other for a while, so that was probably not the best place to, uh, <laughs> to get together, <laughs> but uh, she was going through some stuff, I was going through some stuff, so I thought, you know what, let's, let's do this one-day silent retreat and, uh, and sort of just re reset our systems and our mindset, and um, so the first half of the day was extremely difficult. Um, but then I found, you know, the second half of the day and after lunch, and lunch was a little difficult as well, but I found, you know, without talking and having the pressure of having to have a conversation with somebody, I was able to truly taste my food um, and slow down, so digest my food. Um, and, you know, the food tastes better. It smells better when you know, you're not preoccupied with so many other things. So that's, that was a turning point for me. But can you give some, you know, some key takeaways for somebody who may be interested in a silent retreat? Um, they may not be able to find, say, a one-day silent retreat, uh, but they're a little bit hesitant about um, joining a silent retreat because of, you know, all of these things that go on in their minds, whether it's uh, maybe I won't be able to stop talking or, you know, I won't be able to quiet my mind. Um, maybe just a couple of key takeaways to, to, you know, shed some light on what a silent retreat really is all about. No, I've done two 10 day um, silent retreats and 
as you said, like that first day, it's pretty tough. You start to realize just how chatty you are in your head because you can't talk to other people. You're still talking to yourself. <laughs> uh, um, and over the course of time, like it gets easier and then you get to the middle point and then it gets tough again. And then the last few days, like you're just so into it. It's just like routine and it just feels, I don't know, there's this difference. You get, you get a lot of insights on these kind of retreats. You tend to go deep with your meditation and like thoughts come up. So my biggest caution to anyone who's considering a 10 day retreat or a longer than a one day is being very aware of what your sort of mental health status is prior to it. Like where I went, um, I did Vipassana and they even say like, as you're applying to come into it, like if like, it's not for someone who's going through, like if you're really depressed, Right. I would not go. Or if you're really anxious, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go. And that doesn't mean you can't have anxiety or depression and go on, like that you can't go on one of these retreats. Just noticing and being very accepting of where you are in that moment and whether it's really a good idea to be alone with your thoughts because stuff comes up. Mm-hmm. Like one retreat, someone had to leave a few days in. Um, And like, when I say stuff comes up, I mean like childhood stuff that you're like, I thought I was done with this. Right. I haven't thought about this in 20 years. And it's like, oh, here, let's look at it because you have all this time of silence. And then what would you suggest when stuff like that comes up? You know, like, would you, um, how would you address that? It would go back to kind of like the thoughts like we talked about earlier and just observing them and not latching on to them. Like if something comes up that like, I'm going to need to look at this, but when I get home. Right. Because in that moment, in that environment, there's not a whole lot you can do. And you might need to speak to someone like a social worker, family member, any support that you have to kind of help you through it. And sitting in silence is probably not the best time to do it. But also, like, even just being aware that, like, it might feel like it's so long. But they talk a lot about it's called anicca, which means, like, impermanence. Like, nothing lasts forever. Like, this moment, this retreat, this period of silence, it will end. I will get through this. Like, I can start again, like tomorrow, the next day, whatever, just reminding that like, this will end. I found at the end of my one day retreat, uh, I found that I wanted more at the end. You know, I went from wanting to get the heck out of there to uh, the end of the day feeling like I didn't want to, um, because at the beginning you, you, you do your sort of oath of silence. And then at the end, you break that oath. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I found myself not wanting to break the silence. Yeah. Um, on some of the 10 days, like you get to like day, say seven mm-hmm. and you're like, I could totally do a 20 day retreat. There's 45 day ones. Like people are in silence for 45 days. 
Um, at the end of your second 10 day, you're kind of like, I could totally do 45 days of silence. Probably not. But like in that moment, you're like, yeah, I could do this. I could stay silent for like so much longer. And that's when you've had a positive experience. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Providing you don't end up having to go home, which is, Mm -hmm. um, which is a a whole other, other podcast episode on it. Yeah. Um, And that goes back to just like, what's best for me? And that's sort of what you're kind of like your whole approach with, right. Like the food based diet Mm -hmm. is all about like, what is best for me? And that's like with mindfulness, it's connecting back to like, what am I consuming? And how is this actually affecting me? And you start to notice like, I'm feeling this or like, oh, I've had too much dairy. My face is showing it with all the acne or whatever. Yeah, you definitely, I mean, at this point uh, where I am with with plant-based eating is if I go out to eat and I eat something that say that has uh, refined sugars in it or some gluten or something like that, I know within a couple of hours Mm -hmm. that I've just been fed something that I typically don't put into my body and it really affects me. And it's almost like a hangover, like a food hangover, because even the next day, you know, either I break out or I'm moody or it's just, I feel, I wake up feeling exhausted. And those are all telltale signs that, you know, whatever is, whatever I've just put into my body is just not working for it. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, for years, and I'm sure a lot of people fall prey to this, but, you know, for years I felt that um, I kind of just accepted feeling like crap all the time. You know, I'd wake up feeling tired and I used to blame things like, oh, I must be getting my period or, oh, you know, I'm getting older or I must have stayed up a little late too late last night. Meanwhile, it was like, no, it's the crap you're putting into your body because, you know, I, I'm still getting older, obviously, but I'm definitely not feeling exhausted every time I wake up in the morning. So it's, it's, it's so true about what you put into your body. Mm -hmm. Final question for you, Charlene. Okay. If you could go back and speak to your younger self about mindfulness, what would you say to that girl? Oh, um, if I went back to my younger self, I would talk to her about just letting go of all the thoughts and the what ifs and not latching onto them and just kind of accepting like where you're at. I was so shy growing up and like up until practicing mindfulness because I was too busy thinking about like, well, what if I said something stupid to say anything at all? And the reality is, like, we all say stupid things. Yep. And you're the harshest critic about it. Like, somebody might laugh at you, but three seconds later, they've forgotten. And you might be thinking about it for the next 20 years, but they've totally forgotten. And you're dwelling on it. And now it's like, well, I'm never going to say that again. Or I can't talk to this person ever again because I just made a fool out of myself. And they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it means much more to you than it does to anyone else. And, you know, half the time they, you're right, they have no idea what you're talking about. And you've just been um, stewing over it for, you know, like months and months and months and, and yeah. all wasted energy too. 
such a waste of energy. Well, Charlene, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with our listeners and uh, giving some insight on mindfulness and, uh, and meditation. And you have actually motivated me to try a 10 day silent retreat. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> no, I think, you know, you'll probably really love it. I got some really great insights out of it. Like, the last one I took, it was like, you need to go speak to this person. And I did. And it was someone who became very important in my life. And like, it was kind of a catalyst for all the different other changes that I probably would never have done if it wasn't like listening to my wise mind, my intuition saying like, well, this is something you need to do. Oh, that's amazing. Hmm. That's absolutely amazing. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on. All right. The best way to spread the word about the amazing benefits of plant-based nutrition is to share information. If you love this podcast, please share it with your friends and family, both in person and through social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm so thankful for each and every share, mention, and follow from you guys. And if you're looking for more plant-based recipe inspos or you want to kickstart your very own plant-based journey, please visit www.jenniferz.com. Until next time, guys, stay healthy, happy, and plant-based.